This episode of On the Beat is brought to you by Ingles. Shop online with Ingles curbside pickup. New curbside stores opening every week. Please welcome Mike Griffith. Most of it was fresh. We got some pollen down here in Georgia, but no complaints. I'm all about 70 degree weather, sunshine. Gotta love it. Uh, exciting time of year if you're a football fan because we're on the verge of the start of spring drills. And we were treated to some football sort of last week, the NFL Combine. Of course, I was up in Indianapolis all week. Connor Riley was back here getting the stories up about the times and the jumps and the weights. And I was down there doing the interviews and all the live streams. I hope you've had a chance to find our YouTube channel where we have all of the players, well, 11 of the 12 players that spoke down there. Uh, I did live streams on Jalen Carter. He didn't show up, but I've got that 20 minute Ohio state uh, pre Ohio state interview. I did with him. That kind of gives you a window to Jalen's soul, so to speak. Um, before we get into the dogs, though, let's talk quarterbacks because the SEC dominated the conversation. Um, yes, Stetson Bennett uh, made a few headlines himself. We'll talk about Stetson later in the show. But the guy that really grabbed my attention was Anthony Richardson of Florida. You just don't see quarterbacks run 4 4 3, vertical jump 40 inches, broad jump 131 inches. I mean, this was a freakish performance. For perspective, Justin Fields ran a 4-4-4. A, a four, four, four. And here's this guy, Richardson. And he hadn't played that many games. Now, his passing is raw. He's a little, you know, inexperienced to some extent. But with those measurables, and, and the guy's coming in at six foot three and 244. I mean, what a load. And we saw it against Georgia. He he had some. And Will Levis is a guy that had a better combine than I think people realize. I mean, Levis, 6'4", 229, but he had a 34-inch vertical and a 126 broad jump. You look at what Stetson did at 190. What did Stetson come in at? Like 195 pounds, 197 pounds. And he vertical jumped 33. So Levis jumped higher and was more explosive. Now, Levis didn't run. Stetson ran a good time for a quarterback that, you know, that four, six number, but of the seven quarterbacks that ran five of them were faster than Stets. So, you know, from a number standpoint, I think we looked at it and said, Oh, that's pretty good. And it was good, but I don't think it was eye popping. When I think of eye popping, I think of Anthony Richardson's numbers and I don't know who's going to draft him. I can't imagine that someone's going to draft him with it in mind that they want to start him right away because I think he needs a lot of work. Um, but I think those numbers that he put up were were just phenomenal. So I think he's a first-round lock now. I think a lot of people thought he was a first-round lock before, but he may go in the top 15. You, you may see four quarterbacks go in the top 15 picks of the draft. Bryce Young was a little smallish, 5'10", uh, 204, a little thicker. Um, Stetson was an inch taller than Bryce Young. I mean, it, he proved to be taller. Stetson had a bigger hand. You know, those those sort of things, some scouts put more into that than others do. 
But, you know, I came away feeling the same about Stetson as I did when I went in. Everybody's like, oh, he threw the ball really well. And I'm like, well, did you watch the game against TCU? He had six touchdowns. I'm not surprised. The Stetson Bennett that we saw this year was vastly improved over the Stetson Bennett from the year before and the year before that. Every year, Stetson got better. He added the deep ball to his rapport in 2021, and he worked on his footwork and his arm strength between 2021 and 2022. You know, he's not the pop gun guy anymore. He has a good, strong arm. That's not going to be the issue. Stetson Bennett's arm strength, not the issue. Stetson Bennett's athleticism, not the issue. The issue is how do teams feel about Stetson's personality and how does Stetson's personality fit into an NFL locker room if he's not the starting quarterback? Will he be happy with that? Because you remember at Georgia, you know, he, he made it very clear he wasn't. He transferred out one time and he was on the verge of transferring again. Um, and, and then again, after the 21-21 national championship, when he discovered that Georgia was trying to get Caleb Williams. So if you're an NFL team, you're kind of looking at your backup quarterback to have a certain disposition about him. And so I guess, could Stetson be too competitive for his own good in this situation? Is it like starter or bust? I I don't think so. I think Stetson realizes, and and he said during his interview that the best guy is going to start. So as long as he accepts that the guy ahead of him is better than him, then maybe it'll be a different approach. Because in 2019, I didn't hear anything about Stetson Bennett having any sort of issues or being any sort of distraction or threatening to transfer after 2019 when Jake Fromm was ahead of him. You know, he accepted that. So to me, I think a lot of it's getting built into it. I think some people are overthinking it. I think Stetson will be fine. I don't know that he'll get drafted. I I guess I would bet that he would. My money's on him getting drafted probably fifth or sixth round just because I think quarterbacks are in more demand after what happened with the 49ers injuries in the playoffs. I think you're going to see more teams carrying three quarterbacks. I think that helps Stetson. And all it takes is one team to like you. And I I think there's probably more than one. I think there's some teams that don't like Stetson, but I think there's some teams that do. Um, He's kind of a polarizing figure. I, I can relate. Go figure. So I think he's going to get a shot. I think he's going to get drafted. I thought his combine was okay, but I didn't think it was. I mean, it was good, right? When I say it's okay, I don't think it really raised his draft stock. I think we already knew going in that Stetson was athletic and that Stetson could throw the deep ball and had a strong arm. So we basically validated what I think we already knew. Those of us that watch every game, we saw how Stetson got better and better and better each year Monkin was here. So while it was a good workout, solid, it wasn't like eye-popping to the extent that someone's going to walk away from there and the NFL going, well, wow, I think all this, no, it wasn't that. Anthony Richardson, yes, 443, 40-inch vertical, 244 pounds, yes. Um, but Stetson was solid. I don't know what his interviews were like behind closed doors, but with the media, he was still, um, I don't know what's the best. I mean, Stetson, 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 right? He wasn't all, oh, I want to apologize to the fans and my team. Uh-uh. Wanted to apologize to his family. They're the ones that would hurt. 
didn't want to, you know, go into a whole bunch of detail about it. Everybody knows what happened. I, it was fine. It was fine, but it wasn't like, oh my gosh, this is a guy that's seen the light that, oh, he's going to just be so humble and thankful for everything. No, he's Stetson still Stetson. He's still got some swagger and that confidence. And like I said, that's, that rubs some people the wrong way. Other people not. I I sit back. I've, I've seen it all over the last 30 years. I've seen all sorts of different types of quarterbacks. And to me, it's what works for you. And if that's what works for Stetson, then that's what he's got to do. That's who he is. And he's true to himself. And I think he always will be. Now, at some point, he may evolve and who he is may be a little different, right? At the NFL level, it's almost like hitting the reset button, especially if he's not being brought in to be a starter, which is pretty much a universal concept. Now, I'll say this. The way Stetson Bennett's career's played out, and, and I said I said this at the airport the other day. Um, Jack Podlesny was sitting uh, uh, two two seats down from me at the airport in Indianapolis. I said, Jack, I wouldn't be surprised if Stetson's starting for an NFL team next year or selling insurance in a year. I have no idea. Anything in between, I I have earthly no idea because so much a quarterback is dependent on circumstance. And if Stetson's in the right circumstance, we could see him starting in the NFL. He, he goes in as a number two or he goes in as a three. Guys get hurt. He gets plugged in and he starts making plays like he did at Georgia. I mean, or does he go into a situation and he signs with a team, they bring in an older free agent, he gets put on the practice squad, he's not happy not playing I mean, who knows? I also think there's a chance Stetson could end up playing in another league someday. Look, this is a guy that just loves football. And I just don't know what happens if he's not the starter. How does he handle it? What is What happens? I don't know. So I guess I'm wondering just as much as y'all. Like I said, he could be starting next year. Things could break right for him. They, they had it Georgia or maybe not. But, you know, there's no right answer because, again, quarterback is so circumstantial where you go and who you play for is so big. And, you know, look at C.J. Stroud, you know, you know, someone there was, oh, the big question, what if C.J. Stroud had beat Michigan both years? Would he win back-to-back Heismans? I said the big question is what if he chose Georgia over Ohio State? Would he have won three national titles? I don't know. So – it's so circumstantial. So what team these quarterbacks go to has everything to do with their progression, their opportunities, and their chance for success. You know, there's not quite as much difference between teams in the NFL as there is in college football. There's more parity. That makes the job harder. That's another thing we have to see all these quarterbacks. How does Bryce Young adjust when he doesn't have the talent disparity that Alabama has over so many other teams? Or how does Stetson adjust when he doesn't have the talent disparity? How does Will Levis? Well, probably a bad example. Will Levis had terrible talent in Kentucky, and he struggled. So could we, so now there's people that are saying, well, maybe if Will Levis had a better supporting cast, he could have done. So there's guys making millions of dollars to make these decisions and judge these things, and even they don't always get it right. Everybody remembers Tom Brady, uh, you know, how late he went in the draft and what he turned into. Versus Peyton Manning, right, who was number one overall and 
lived up to the billing. Wide spectrum, fun to talk about. Again, no right or wrong answers. I think everyone's got a perspective. They've seen the good, the bad, the ugly. Um, but the combine certainly was spicy. And Stetson was was a spicy story. I enjoyed interviewing him there. I talked to him a lot about football, uh, the preparation, playing for Munkin, how that's helped him out. Um, didn't really get in. I didn't get into the off the field stuff. To me, we've, we've asked, you know, those questions have been answered. Um you know, Stetson didn't have a good offseason between winning the title and the combine. But the guy saw at the combine, looked engaged, looked plugged in. And, uh, you know, I think he's going to get a chance. And I think that it's going to be interesting to see what happens because he's got enough ability, um, you know. I think he's got enough ability to hold a job in the NFL on a team. Can he start in the NFL? I don't know. I think more progress needs to be made. But I kind of look at it that he's made progress every year. How much progress is left? How much ceiling is left is the question that he'll have to answer. Uh, before I get into breaking down the, the stock report and, and talking about all the guys, I did kind of a, a fun piece today. I started this archive of former Georgia players and what they did at the NFL Combine. And just kind of as a matter of record, it, you know, a couple of years back and then five years back and seven and 10 and 50, and now I'm at 20. And I wanted to compare the performances of the current Bulldogs to former Bulldogs because I'm one of the people who have a, a recency bias. I always think, well, these new guys, these guys nowadays are better than ever. Well, not always the case. So I'm going to go, I'm going to throw some numbers at you. This story is up on Dog Nation. Uh, dot com if you want to read along. Um, but I start out with Stetson, right? So Stetson ran a 46740, and I compared it to Matthew Stafford. Matthew Stafford ran a 481. Stetson jumped 33.5 inches high. Stafford jumped 30.5 inches high. Stetson did a 118 broad jump. Stafford did 107. Boy, who is this Matthew Stafford? Bennett's a much better athlete than him. Oh, just the number one overall pick and the richest number one overall pick in history and a Super Bowl champion. So much for the combine, right? But another guy I compared Stetson to is DJ Shockley. Shockley, 6'1", 214. Stetson, 5'11", 192. Shockley, 4'5", 640. 37.5 vertical, 121 broad jump. Shockley, better than Bennett. Shockley was a fifth-round pick. I think Bennett. That's going to be a fifth round pick. So that was one. And, and you all knew how good DJ was. Now, the tight end. This was interesting because when Darnell performed, I was blown away. I said, this guy's six foot six and a half, 264. He ran a 46440 with a 31 inch vertical and a 122 inch broad jump. Man, you just don't see tight ends that big. Well, in 2006, you did Leonard Pope, six foot eight, 258. So Leonard Pope was an inch and a half taller than Darnell and only eight pounds less. Darnell ran a 464. Leonard Pope ran a 462. Darnell jumped 31 inches. Pope jumped 37.5. Darnell edged Pope in the broad jump 122 to 118. Now, I don't remember a lot about Leonard Pope. Y'all probably watch and do, but, but these numbers are unbelievable. 
And then I looked at Ben Watson. Now, Ben was 2004, and he wasn't as tall. He was just as thick. He was 6'3", 258. He ran a 4.5 flat, jumped 35.5, and, and had a 123. So Ben was a phenomenal athlete. And I got this fun interview with Ben on YouTube in the story, like it's on Dog Nation, where he's talking about his interview, his uh, draft interview with the Cleveland Browns and how they had this bright light shining on. Pretty interesting. Now, Nolan Smith, what Nolan did was just freaky. I mean, the guy is 238 pounds, and he ran a 43940, and he did a 41.5 vertical, which is on par with Anthony Richardson. And he did a 128-inch broad jump, which is almost as much as Anthony Richardson. And I thought to myself, boy, I'm going to have a hard time going back. Even with all the great athletes that George has had, I'm going to have a hard time finding a comp. And I couldn't find anybody that was close to that size that ran a 4.39 off the edge. But I found Boss Bailey. And Boss Bailey had a 42-inch vertical jump. And a 135-inch broad jump. That's that's like second highest ever. That broad jump is ridiculous. And it shows how much explosion a guy has. And Boss was 6'3", 233. Nolan 6'2", 238. So Boss Bailey, just freakish. I know that name resonates with a lot of George. I'll tell you who else. Leonard Floyd. 6'6", 244. Wow. What kind of monster was he? 4.6 flat 40. Okay, that's slower than Nolan's 4.39. Floyd did a 39.5 inch vertical and 127 broad jump. So everything but the speed from Leonard Floyd, only four inches taller. And I put some highlights in there and I watched him. I was covering Tennessee that year, so I didn't see a lot of Leonard Floyd. I started going back and looking at those highlights and I was like, oh my gosh, this guy would be like, all about a Kirby defense. I guess he wasn't 20. No, he wasn't. So the 2016 combine would have been Mark Mark Ricks last year, 2015 season. Broderick Jones. Now, this one is going to surprise you. I'll bet this surprises you. So Broderick had a good workout. It wasn't, it wasn't like Jordan Dave, Davis's last year that just blew everybody's mind, but he was the fastest lineman there. He ran a 497 in the 40. Uh, he had a 30-inch vertical and a 108-inch broad jump. I compared him to Andrew Thomas, first round pick, a few years back. Broderick 6'5, 311. Andrew 6'5, 315. Uh, Broderick much faster, the 497 to Andrew's 522. Andrew was very comparable in the vertical uh, with the 30.5, Broderick at 30. And in the broad jump, Andrew's at 109, Broderick at 108. The guy, though, that blew me away here, how about John Stinchcomb in 2003? He runs a 49940. He's right there with Broderick. He's got a 35-inch vertical jump. Broderick's is 30. This is John Stinchcomb. He's got a 115-inch broad jump to Broderick's 108. John Stinchcomb, a better athlete than Broderick Jones? Yes. Amazing. And then I, I did Keely Ringo. And you can look Keely up and compare him to Tyson Campbell and Eric Stokes. But it was just kind of a fun exercise for me to kind of compare some of the recent, you know, freaky Georgia athletes of yesteryear to the guys that Kirby's turning out like every year now. But I thought it was fun. And, and Georgia has had some really special and really talented, great athletes, as you all know.
drinking the tea to keep my my voice going here. You know, let's take our halftime break. When I come back, I'm going to go down the list of all the Georgia players and tell you where they're going to be drafted. Um, I think you're going to want to check that out. And then I'm going to kind of touch on the spring. We're still a week away from spring drills, but I've got some thoughts about what we might see from Kirby Smart at quarterback and now at receiver. So right now, let's take a break and recognize our sponsor, Ingles, and we'll come back for the second half of the show right after this. Did you know that Ingles sells more organics than any other store? Or that they run their own dairy? Or that they only serve USDA choice and prime meat? Did you know that they have more local craft beer than any place else? Or that they have energy smart stores? Or that they professionally slice and package imported cheese from Europe? Did you know about their giant international aisle, local farm partnerships, curbside pickup, wine department, or that they donate 3,956 meals a day to local food banks? Well, now you do. It's all in the bag. Ingles, low prices, love the savings. Welcome back to the show. Mike Griffith here. Second half of the show. Um, I did want to tell you this. Last Monday night, you saw the show last Monday. I taped it. I was in Gainesville. And I wanted to share a, a quick story with you. So Coach Spurrier was up there. We do the Steve Spurrier Award, first year coach of the year award. And... TCU coach Sonny Dykes was there. He was the award winner. And I talked to Coach Dykes a few times and asked him about Georgia. And he talked a lot about Darnell Washington, um, kind of compared him to and, and, and Brock Bowers, compared Brock to and those those guys to, uh, you know, Gronk, the tight end that he was, you know, once coached out there in Arizona. But he was just such a classy guy and he gave Georgia so much credit. And I thought that that was, you know, really neat. You know, that Coach Dykes was was that respectful of Kirby and had a lot of good things to say about him. Uh, but Spurrier's up there, and he's introducing Dykes. And he says, uh, yep, Sonny, won, won a lot of good games this year. Won a lot of games. Yep, sure did. Uh, beat Oklahoma State, came from 18 down. That was that was a good one now. That was a good one. Beat Texas. Yeah, right there. Beat Texas. He said, nah. then you played this big red team. He said, I, Sonny, I, I believe they got 60 on you, didn't they? They got 60 points. And Sonny's sitting out in the crowd, and the crowd's laughing, and Sonny goes, I don't know how many they got. And Spurrier goes, yep, yep, they did. They got more than 60. He said, let me tell you, though, Sonny, there's one year the Gators played a big red team, put more than 60 on us, too. He said, and the next year, we came back and won a national title. So maybe next year going to be the Horned Frogs of the year. You never know, Sonny. And he brings Sonny up. And I talked to Sonny afterward. I said, man, I said, you, you just rolled. He goes, he said, look. We love Coach Spurrier. That's fun. You know he's going to tease you. And I thought to myself, my, how things have changed. Because in the 1990s, I remember people thought of Coach Spurrier as the villain in the visor, right? Because he didn't just beat teams. He just, he put it on them. Nowadays, they all do that. Ohio State runs, you know, Oklahoma. Anytime a team can score 60 points. I mean, Munkin's up there pumping his fist when Georgia gets 50. And a game that everybody goes for the jugular. Spurrier was ahead of his time. And uh, I got to tell you, just getting to know Coach Spurrier, he's he's a very loyal guy. And for him, it's all about the competition and the fun of it. And I know for a fact, personally, I know that he likes Kirby Smart. He's told me that. And he's told Kirby that. And he's let him know. You know, now he's not going to be out there, you know, pumping Georgia up because he's a Gator. Or a Gamecock, but I know personally, just having talked to Coach, how he feels about Kirby and the program he's put together, and 
And, uh, you know, he's, he's, he's let me know. That's that, like I said, that's not something we're going to get him on camera going. I think, you know, that's just not coach's way. He's loyal to his teams. He knows who he is. He knows what he is. Um, but he's, he's a good guy. And, um, he, he's all about his football. He loves football and it's fun to be a part of that award. But I wanted to share that story because old coach Spurrier is still, still taking jabs at, at people out there. It's just his nature. It's part of the shtick. You know what you're going to get. Uh, Looking at the Georgia stock report and speaking of knowing what you're going to get, I talked with the Philadelphia Eagles vice president, Howie Roseman. He, Howie had did a podium. This was last Tuesday when I got there and Howie did a podium where he's, you know, up on his podium and there's like 15 reporters down below and we're yelling, you know, questions at him. He'd come down and he was standing doing a one-on-one interview with the Cleveland Browns. And I waited for him to finish, and I went over there, and I said, Howie, I'm Mike Griffith. I cover Georgia for you know, our AJC Dog Nation website. I said, do you mind if I asked you a couple questions about Georgia? And he said, no, yeah, no, great. You know, we got a, we got a couple guys from there last year. I said, oh, man, let me tell you, you got two of the best. I said, Jordan and Nicobe, those guys truly, truly were the heart and soul of that team. And he goes, yeah, I could tell they really missed him this year. And I said, well, they, they did. I mean, they went 15 and 0, but he made a good point, right? Here, Georgia lost the heart and soul of their team and they went 15 and 0. Um, but he said that Georgia trains people the right way. And he talked about the respect he had for Kirby. And he said Georgia treats people the right way as people and players, which I'm sure Kirby is going to send him a thank you note because the next day is when the news broke that. Jalen, you know, there was this warrant out for Jalen Carter's arrest for speeding, and it turned out that he was racing or driving fast, a reckless driving and racing the night of the, the tragic accident that killed Chandler LaCroix and Devin Willick. And, man, what a curveball. I, I didn't see it coming, and, and I understand that investigation is ongoing. There may be more before it's all over with. Um, you know, it's just tragic and sad, but um, – and, and I don't know how it's going to affect Jalen. I guess my guess would be as long as he doesn't do jail time, I, I still think he's going to get picked in the top five. I mean, yes, he's very guilty of bad judgment, very guilty of that. Um, you would hope he would learn him, you know, learn from his mistake. Um, you know, he's one of the guys uh, I'm going to talk about here in the draft stock. So let's go ahead and start it out. I broke it down into stock soaring, stock up and stock even. And my number one stock soaring was Darnell Washington. I had already thought that Darnell would be uh, a first-round pick. I'd seen him slide out of some first rounds. I knew that once people saw him in person that he would impress, and he did. His interview was fantastic. He talked about being a young father. He talked about his growth at Georgia. It's all there in the story. If you call the, the stock report up, I've got all the interviews of all the guys from the podium, and you can sit there and listen to him answer questions. You'll get a really good idea of who they are, better than – in season, in season, it's almost like Kirby's got him in a box. Nobody's going to say anything out of line. Nobody's going to, you know, talk about anything individualistic. It's going to be, we played hard. They had a good team. We believe in ourselves, you know, go Georgia. I mean, there's just not a whole lot of variety in season. Um, and, and that's fine. That's the way, you know, Georgia and Kirby want it. But when you hear these guys talk at the podium at the combine, I feel like you really get a sense for who they are or the, the man that they've grown into. Obviously, Jeff Centel does a show on Wednesday nights and he tells you about these kids when they're coming in. 
but they all grow in these three or four or five, or I guess in Stetson's case, six years into other people and mature and, and most often always for the better. But Darnell, certainly what a great success story. I'm rooting for Darnell. Remember when I told you that sports writers don't root for teams, they root for people. You know, I, almost all these Georgia kids are impressive. I got to tell you, they really are um, very personable and um, just great conversation. Just enjoyed the interviews. So Darnell, I, I think he's going to go in the second half of the first round. I think he'll go anywhere from 15 to 32. Nolan Smith is another guy that won me over there. Nolan's presentation was was phenomenal. Um, such an emotional guy, such a genuine guy, um, entertaining guy. I mean, he really, you know, shines like a diamond. There's so many facets to Nolan Smith. I really understood for the first time why Kirby had him on the sideline as a captain, even though his arm was in a sling. He absolutely moves you. Uh, and then he proved to be dynamic on the field with that 43940. Like I said, there's there's not a comp. I went back and, you know, for all these guys, you saw the exercise. I was trying to find guys from yesteryear that were better, bigger, faster, stronger. I couldn't find anybody that was like Nolan Smith. Nobody could match the speed. You know, Leonard Pope and Boss Bailey had the explosion, but they didn't have the speed that Nolan has. And I, I remember thinking that watching him as a rush end, you know, I, I thought of the movie Jurassic Park. You know, when those Raptors chase people, that's what Nolan reminded me of. Um, in fact, there was a Tennessee player way back when named Leonard Little that I equated to Nolan Smith, who just when he came after you, man, and I need to look up Leonard's times because I bet they were comparable. Um, but the way that Leonard, the way that Leonard and the way that Nolan Smith pursued, there's a spot. I, I think Nolan, I, I put in here late first, early second. But as I'm speaking out loud, I think he's a. I think he'll go in the first round. I just I don't think he'll get out of the first round with that pursuit speed. Broderick Jones, athletic, good, still raw, uh, mid to late first round. I think he'll be the first lineman off the board. I, I think people were impressed with Broderick. I mean, he's 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 very intellectual when he speaks. You can tell he's fun. Uh, he's modest. Um, I, I thought he interviewed extremely well. So. That's kind of where I'm at. Those were the three guys, though, that I thought were just fantastic. I thought they were just fantastic. So that was it was all interesting. Uh, now you get to the guys who have stock up and or excuse me, stock rising. And Keely Ringo was one of them. Six two two oh seven. I thought Keely did a really nice job there. I expected him to run fast, though. So that doesn't really surprise me. Um, but I thought he interviewed well. I thought that he was, you know, very mature and how he handled a lot of questions about the program. I thought of all the kids that were asked, or young men, I should say, that were asked about the Georgia culture. I thought Keeley gave the best answer. I thought he was the most persuasive. And I thought he provided the most insight. And, and he did well in his field drills. So uh, Robert Beal's a guy we didn't talk a lot about, Robert. Um, as much as we should have, because he ran a, a four four eight, which is really really strong for a guy that's that's his size. Um, but we didn't talk about him because Nolan Smith kind of stole the spotlight that day. But if you look closely at what Robert Beal did, he had a day, and I think Robert Beal probably improved his draft stock. He he was one of the big winners. I wouldn't say his stock soaring because I don't think he's going to be picked in the top three rounds. 
but I do think that he cemented himself as a draft pick. And I, I think that teams are going to like what he can do. Uh, you know, this year he talked about how his numbers were down um, because his responsibilities grew and he was in coverage more. He wasn't just rushing, rushing the passer like he was last year uh, when he came in after Adam Anderson. So he was another guy uh, that I said that, you know, the stock was up on, on Robert Beal. Stetson Bennett, um, again, look, we expected Stetson to throw the ball well. He's improved from two years ago, even from last year. I thought this stock was up more because of his physique. He came in heavier than I thought. I'd seen that video from him at QB Country. I did a story on Dog Nation about that. Um, and while his interview wasn't scintillating with the media, and while I thought it could have been better, it was who Stetson is. And I don't think he offended anybody. I don't think he said anything bad. Um, I think Stetson was Stetson, and he came across as confident. Not cocky. He didn't come across cocky, but he came across confident. And as, as a guy who's focused in on the next step. So um, I thought stock up. I gave I gave Stetson a stock up. Still think fifth round. Um, maybe fourth if somebody really likes him. Again, these interviews that he does behind scenes – I don't imagine they'd be too different than what we're getting um, because Stetson is Stetson. I mean, that's just, you know, you know, we're, for example, whereas Jake Fromm kind of always said the right thing and, you know, Stetson says what Stetson's going to say. It's just different. Uh, Jalen Carter. I said stock even, I don't think his stock dropped. I know that, I know that sounds uh, terrible because, you know, he, um, you know, he got the, you know, he had to go back and serve an arrest warrant, but I don't think that, that his stock's going to drop. I, I think he's that good. Uh, I think he's a top you know, five pick. I don't think that's changed unless he goes to jail. And I don't think that he will. These are misdemeanor charges. Um, so that's my thought. Jalen Carter. I don't see him when I say go to jail, I mean like serve time. I don't think he's going to do that. I don't think these two misdemeanors are going to lead to that. I don't have any reason to believe that. If it rose to that level, then I could see the stock dropping, but I don't think that's going to happen. And so I don't think his stock is going to drop. I think he's going to be a top five pick, just like he would have been before. I still expect the Bears to trade that pick. Uh, and I expect somebody to draft Bryce Young, number one, and somebody to draft CJ Stroud, number two. And the Cardinals and the Bears are going to pick Will Anderson and Jalen Carter, three and four. Uh, Chris Smith, I said stock even. A lot of people focus on the 40 time, and Chris ran a 462, um, 511, 192, a little on the small side, not an elite time, but Chris is a playmaker, and I don't think it hurts him as much as it might hurt somebody else um, because of Chris's instincts, because of how he's proven he can make big plays. But I, I said third round to fourth to fifth round, I believe. Excuse me, third to fourth round. Kenny McIntosh, same thing. Four six two, uh, wasn't wasn't great, but Kenny is proven he can catch the ball. And Kenny never ran track. The high school that he went to didn't have a track team, and that really put him at a disadvantage. Most of these other guys had run track and had you know an innate ability to get off to a good start. That's why Kenny doesn't run good on the clock because he's not a track guy. But I think his football speed is every bit as fast as these other backs. I mean, who runs on a track in football? Who starts out in a sprinter stance in football? You don't. You're in a three-point stance. 
or you're standing up with your hands on your, your thigh pads. And Kenny's just as fast as anybody and explosive out of that. And the scouts know that. So I don't think this is going to affect him. Um, you know, I think Bijan Robinson and Jamar Gibbs were already ahead of him. I still think Kenny, will, he may be the, the third to fifth back taken. I think he could still go no later than the third round. Um, I just don't think Munkin and the Ravens would let him go past the third round. I just, if he's there, I got to think the Ravens are going to take him. Warren McClendon, I said, you know, stock even. Warren didn't work out. Uh, he did interviews. You know, he wants to continue to heal and get better. Remember, Warren was in that was in that car wreck that killed two people. He was in the front seat of a vehicle that hit a brick wall. At, I think they said the speedometer was broken at over 80 miles an hour. And, and he was playing in the Senior Bowl less than three weeks later at practice. What a grown man. But Warren stood up there and um, just interviews really well. This is just such a responsible guy, such a reliable guy. This is another guy. You know, you can tell, like, this is another guy that I'm personally pulling for because of everything he's been through and who he is. Um, really like Warren McClendon. Kyrus Jackson, well, I'll tell you what, uh, you know, here's a guy that's so impressive. I, I believe he worked on the student council as a representative. Um, you know, good works team guy. Um, just a good soldier. I hope he continues his career as long as he wants. The truth is, at 5'11", 196, there's a lot of guys that size. And Kyrus's athleticism isn't that dynamic that it just jumps out at you. He's probably going to be a free agent signee. Um, he'll probably make a, a practice squad because he can return kicks and receive, and he's just a smart, tough football player. Um, so enjoyed Kyrus as well. Jack Podlesny. I'll tell you what, I wish I wish I had a company just so I could hire this guy. This young man is so impressive. He is so, um, it's the word I'm looking for. I mean, he's just such a good teammate. You know, I'm talking to him at the Senior Bowl, and he's talking about rooming with Warren and lending support to a teammate. Like, that's what he wants to talk about more than himself. He wants to talk about the opportunity to be a good teammate. And, you know, and I asked Warren about it. And these guys are from the same area. They went to rival high schools. They didn't really know each other back then. And like Warren said, you know, offensive line and kickers, they're only on the field at the same time when they're on extra points. So there's not a lot of conversation. But these guys had an opportunity to hang out in Mobile at the Senior Bowl and get to know each other. And that is just such a great story. And, you know, the whole Kirby Connect thing, this is a part of it. The way these guys have learned to communicate with one another to buy into one another, to support one another. This is truly the fabric of Georgia football. This is truly a separator for what's happened. Yes, they have talent, tons of talent. Yes, they have outstanding coaches, no doubt about it. And now, yes, there are challenges with the off-the-field issues, with the street racing, which from what I understand is a phenomenon that goes beyond the UGA football team. This is like a thing in Atlanta, some people are telling me. So, yeah, they've got challenges. But they've got this connection. And it was so smart of Kirby to take it there and to build that during that COVID year. You know, leave it to Kirby to find a way to turn the COVID year into the positive. Right? Well, what can we do, he thought. We can't do this. We can't do that. What can we do? We can get closer as a team. And remember when they talked about how you kind of got to know the recruits better because you spent more time with them? Um, on the screen doing the FaceTiming. I, I think Kirby found a value in that and probably said, gosh, if we could do this 
FaceTiming with recruits and get closer to them, why wouldn't we be able to get closer with one another? Just brilliant. And, and I have a lot of respect for Kirby. I don't think people really understand sometimes, you know, my role as a journalist. You know, you get the call to go on Fine Bomber. You get the call to go on Outkick. And they want to talk about Georgia after Jalen Carter's arrest last week. And I've got to stand up there and say, this is a bad look for Georgia. Kirby Smart has an issue that he's got to deal with. There's nothing good to say about it. Look, I'm not there to be a Georgia fan and say, oh, it's all right. Everything's great. They're too. That's that's not what I'm there for. I'm the weatherman. If it's raining outside, I'm going to tell you it's raining. If it's warm outside, I'm going to tell you things are warming up. Last week, it was raining pretty heavy on Georgia football. It was a bad look. It was a bad look. You know, but Kirby came out Friday and spoke and said a lot of things. I thought his interview with ESPN was really good. I called Mark Slaybaugh, uh, the ESPN writer that Kirby talked to, um, and I did a story on it. I wrote it last week and pointed some things out. Um, you know, there's some tough numbers involved here. It's been a tough stretch off the field. But this is going to be another opportunity for Kirby and Athletic Director Josh Brooks to really look at the infrastructure of the athletic department, obviously something was broke. I don't need to rehash the details with you, but the infrastructure failed. They're going to have to redo it. There's already a new position being advertised. Um, I can guarantee you that Kirby Smart's coaching playbook is going to address this and with no ifs, ands, or buts about it. I think to the extent that this is going to be an emphasis in some position battles. I really believe that. And I think that Kirby is good. The ship is going to be run tighter than ever this off season. I think Kirby is aware that it reached levels where lives were lost. And, and listen, he's a football coach that's here to win championships, but Kirby's a leader and Kirby is a Georgia alum. And this university means a lot to him. The image means a ton to him and he's not going to stand by and watch the program turn into something that he's not proud of or that Georgia fans aren't proud of. Not going to do it. If he was some mercenary coach that was just here to win, he wouldn't care as much. But the fact that he bleeds red and black, and I know that sounds cliche, but it's true. I, I know Kirby well enough after covering him five years and writing down every word that he said and thinking about it and going back and reading those transcripts again and studying them and watching them and comparing them to all those other Hall of Fame coaches that I've covered on different beats, whether it was Philip Fulmer or, or whether it was Tom Izzo or whether it was, you know, Rick Barnes or whether it was, uh, gosh, I don't know, Gene Stallings, um, you know, Dabble Sweeney, you know, was on the Gene staff. Um, I built a relationship with Coach Spurrier the last three years, gotten to know him really well. Um, I think Bruce Pearl is a Hall of Fame coach. Uh, super successful. Anybody can bring a final four to Auburn. I mean, it's just ridiculous. Um, ridiculous. Uh, you know, so, I mean, Tom Crane is a final four coach. He won a big two big 10 coach of the year at Indiana. Who does that? You cover a lot of good coaches, Pat summit. You kind of learn and you can't help but learn, right? They're all great leaders and they're all do, they all do it different ways. You know, Kirby's deal is the focus and the hunger, um, and, and really the, the innovation. 
I mean, he's a guy and I loved it. He had a saying, I'll never forget it. And, and I apply it to my own life. If it ain't broke, find a way to make it better. Now he didn't, you know, that wasn't his thing, but he, the fact that that's his mentality. I love that. I love that because so many people become prisoners of their own success or victims of their own success. And they're afraid to make changes because they've had a certain way of doing it so long. And they go, well, I can't change it. It's working. Kirby says, well, hell, I'll change it if we need to. You got something better? I mean, that's just so he's a fascinating guy to cover. Um, I think his players, uh, you know, made him proud at the combine. I don't think anybody had a bad combine. Obviously, it was unfortunate for Jalen Carter, but Jalen wasn't going to work out anyway. And Jalen went back, and I don't know how he interviewed with those teams. I didn't hear anything bad about his interviews. Uh, so I think Georgia – you know, with the number of guys they bring there, with the way those guys interview, with the way they test, it's just a testament to where the program's at. And, and I know this year is going to be a big reload. And I know Jamon Dumas Johnson's one of the guys that got in trouble off the field. This is a guy to keep an eye on, though. This is a leader of the team. And Jamon Dumas Johnson has shown us that he can respond to adversity on the football field. And now he's going to have the opportunity to show us that he can respond to adversity off of the field and become the kind of leader that Kirby wants um, all the way around. I know he's a great on-field leader, but to me, he's the guy that moves the needle. Jamon Dumas-Johnson, um, very important how Jamon grows from this off-season adversity. Very important. I'd say just as important as the quarterback battle. And again, I think that character and responsibility is going to play into that battle. I think Carson, Brock, and Gunner, are all intelligent, super talented young men. But I think Mike Bobo is going to look even deeper. And it, that competition is going to go deep. It's going to be deep. There's going to be so many elements. I think that competition, I just, I can't predict it. I think it's that close. So I'll leave you with that. But don't forget now, Wednesday night, Jeff Centel does his show before the hedges. And every day, Brandon Adams joins you with Dog Nation Daily. And I'm on Wednesdays uh, with Brandon, um, usually around 1025, 1030. I like to join him and, you know, him and I talk about things. And he usually throws me some fastballs and some fun questions. Um, so I look forward to that. And gosh, um, we're only about a week away from the start of spring drill. So reach out to me. You can follow me on Twitter at Mike Griffith 32 you can email me, uh, MikeGriffith032 at gmail.com, or you can just post your comments here, and I'll look forward to reading them. So uh, that'll do it for tonight. I want everybody have a great week, and we'll see you next week on Eagles on the Beat.